And now, I'm, before I call him up, because this is pretty, you know, this is some information I've got to tell you. I've asked to come to be the commencement speaker tonight. A remarkable man. And I first met him really in 2014 in Washington, D.C. Dr. Frank Sheldon, author, speaker, guest on Fox News, speaking on political and religious issues, been on Hannity. Ex-Capitol Hill staff worked on the Hill for 17 years. The evangelism chair for the 2012 Olympic outreach and an evangelist, various backgrounds, special assistant speechwriter to a member of Congress, House Majority Leader several years ago, prolific fundraiser for the one of the political parties, appointed floor staff for the U.S. Senate bipartisan, aide to the governor of Maryland, worked in both Clinton and Bush White House, volunteer in presidential correspondence office, and spoken in many corporate events, author, radio, talk show host. Frankly speaking, he's, he is humorous. He has more one-liners that are loaded than anybody I've ever heard of on the planet. And the last four years, he is the state coordinator for Maryland for the Billy Graham Association. Won't you welcome to the platform as he comes right now, Dr. Frank Shelton. Give him a great God bless you. Amen. While you are standing, I want to say greetings to all of our world changers. Congratulations to the class of 2018. I want to commend our parents, the faculty, the staff, Dr. Rodney and Adonica, Dr. Todd, Dr. Eric, and all of them. But you know what? Can we give the loudest applause to the one who made you, died for you, and coming back? Give Jesus a round of applause. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we need you tonight. Oh, God, thank you. You and your sovereignty saw this moment a long, long time ago. Some people had given up on us in the past, but thank you for a Savior who still believed in the best. Thank you for parents and grandparents who prayed us through. Thank you that we have students before us who realize faith in God is greater than fear from the enemy. And Father, I thank you that he that began a good work is still completing until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this moment to pause and with promotion. But God, help us be mindful tonight. Success is not just obtaining a degree, but the degree we are on fire for Jesus. I just pray that you would use us like never before. And when people see us, they'll see Jesus. Oh God, in these last days, help us be close and clean. There's no time for error. There's no time for games. I pray that we'll be completely spent in the army of Jesus. I've never met the person who regretted serving God, but there's millions who regret that they didn't get in the game for his glory. Oh God, help us be the ones chasing hell with a water gun, with tears in our eyes still telling them Jesus saves and he's your only hope. Oh God, use us. In your name we pray. We all said.
Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. What an honor it is to be with you. I want to open up real quick with a joke. Uh, my parents love golf. I just play miniature golf. Can I get an amen? There was this one guy who tried to hit a golf ball, could not hit the ball to save his life. Swung 101 times, missed the ball every single time. So he said, I need to get some higher elevation. And he found an ant hole that was a hill, a miniature mountain that probably housed 5,000 ants, thinking it's three times the size of a legal PGA golf tee. So surely I can tee it up and smack the ball from here. He swung with all of his might, <laughs> missed the ball, but killed 5,000 ants and only one survived. He said, well, I got to come up with something either better than that. He found an anthill twice the size of the one he missed. And surely I can hit the ball now. 10,000 ants were hidden in that literature anthill, swung with all his might, <laughs> missed the ball and killed 10,000 ants and only one survived. The two surviving ants scared to death dehydrated, almost dead, eyeballs coming out of their socket. The one surviving ant looked at the other surviving ant and said, what was that? He said, I don't know, but if we don't get on the ball, we're going to die. Can I get an amen? <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> when I look at what God has produced in you, thank God that you're on the ball. But hear me, hear me, hear me. A lot of churches are playing the church and they've ceased to be the church. They have not only missed the ball, they've missed the mandate to serve Jesus. And a lot of people are dying because of it. 9,000 churches in America last year preached 52 weeks and not a single person was born again. And guys, I'm telling you, more people were saved today at the end of the Sunday service than the majority of churches seen in years. This church is on the ball, amen? But guys, I wanna share with you, I had the honor in 2012 and 2016 to be a chaplain at the 2012 and 16 Olympic Games. I was a chaplain at the London, England Summer Games and Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. In 2016, we saw 1,054 people get saved during the Olympics. Amen. We saw everybody from athletes to Uber drivers, to fans, to spectators. But I'm telling you, when you go after gold, that is a, a temporal. But if you give them God and the gospel, it is eternal. And I, one of my, my roommate at the 2012 Olympics is an African-American from Houston. His name is Joe Deloche. He beat Carl Lewis and the 200 meter relay in Seoul, Korea, 1988. Carl, the Olympian of the century, won nine gold, one silver. But if you're gonna lose to anyone, it's better to lose to someone on Team USA. My roommate at the Olympics, when we both went as chaplains, was the gold medalist who beat Carl Lewis at his 10th. And after ministering all week in the UK, we went out to dinner, just the two of us, two brothers in Christ, two ministers. Joe, the former gold medalist, loves God. And he was sharing a story with me at dinner. And the Holy Spirit said, Frank, take out a pen and paper because what he shares tonight, there'll be a sermon for you in the future. And he wasn't trying to preach. He was just sharing a world-class athlete just to a brother in the Lord, some nuggets. And tonight I'm gonna share that with you. 
But I want to share a challenge with you in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read 10 verses. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come, and I believe we're here tonight, where many will not endure sound doctrine. Many, after their own lust, shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned back to fables. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. I love this. Do the work of an evangelist. Make foolproof thy ministry. Put this on my tombstone, for I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. But I love this, not to me only, but to every single one of you who long and love and look for his appearing. Do thy diligent to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, because he loved this present world. In verse one, I wanna talk to you about the Redeemer. He said, I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ, not Confucius, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not organized religion. We are sent by Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget it, amen? Verse two, the responsibility. He didn't say preach Time Magazine. He didn't say preach the newspaper. He didn't say preach the Koran. He said preach the word. Preach the word. The first two thirds of God's name is go. The first two letters of gospel is go. The first two letters of good news is go. We have the green light to go. So many saints are satisfied sitting on the sidelines, but we need to get going for God's glory. Give Jesus a round of applause. Not only the Redeemer and the responsibility, but in verse 3, we see the reality. The time will come when folks won't endure sound doctrine. Aren't you thankful for a pastoral staff, Dr. Rodney and Adonica Howard Brown, who preach the truth, not fables, but the fact that Jesus is not a good way. He's the only way. Amen? Amen. And then we see verse 4. They're going to rebel from the truth, return to fables, but let me give you in verse five, recipe for success. Do the work of an evangelist. Whether you're gonna be a preacher's wife, a pastor, a missionary, a church planner, an evangelist, I don't evangelize because I'm an evangelist. I do it because I'm a committed Christian. Good Christians keep the faith, committed Christians share the faith. Some of us preach some of us teach, but we each can reach. We each can reach, amen? And this is what I want you to see with the help of the Holy Spirit. But here's the reward in verse eight. There's laid up a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me and all of you that love is appearing. The first nine verses talk about Paul and Timothy winning, serving the Lord. Isn't it an honor to have your parents give you a hug? Isn't it an honor to have a loved one give you a word of affirmation? 
Isn't it an honor for a friend to say, well done? But you know what? God is pushing for you. He's pulling for you and praying for you. And I believe the saints and the Savior tonight are smiling on you. And this is what I want you to see. God is bragging on you tonight. But the interesting thing is God was bragging on Paul and Timothy. Nine verses go to Paul for sticking with the stuff, for serving the Savior even in the storm. Nine verses go to Paul and Timothy doing it right. But Demas got half a verse. And he went from loving the Lord to loving the world. And you say, why would you bring this up at a graduation? The interesting thing is, and Pastor Rodney's right, we're not going to fail. But you know what? I remember a Bible college professor years ago said, look to the person to your right and your left. And he said with tears, 50% of those graduating from Bible college in 10 years won't even be in the ministry any longer. Some of us start out by faith, but somehow slipped into the flesh. Some of us started out loving the son, but somehow got shackled in sin. And guys, more than ever, 2,000 pastors last month in America threw in the towel. It wasn't all moral failure. Some of us are overworked and underpaid. We're being criticized by not only our deacons, people hate the color of the carpet. They sing too loud, they sing too soft. We don't like that worship. But guys, I'm telling you, there's life and death and the power of the tongue. And if the secret service protects the president, if an offensive line protects the quarterback, our prayers need to be praying for our pastor and each other. The word jealousy, the last five letters spell lousy. And you're never like Jesus if you're jealous. It takes a big person to promote others, to encourage others. You were running well, who hindered you? Now tonight you have two options. You can be like Paul or you can be like Demas. Paul was a winner. Demas was a wannabe. Paul was a finisher. Demas was a failure. Paul started and finished. Demas started and fizzled. Paul was faithful. Demas was faithless. Paul died in the faith. Demas died in the flesh. Paul lived for the son. Demas died in sin. Watch this. Paul lived for the Lord. At the end, Demas lived for the world. Paul was faithful to God. Demas became a footnote to God. Tonight, are you on all cylinders for Jesus? And what Joe Deloach, the gold medalist, shared that night at dinner, he said, Frank, whether you're an Olympian like me, or if you ever ran recess in fifth grade at elementary school, he said, I'm going to tell you some nuggets in track and field that will work in the ministry. He said, number one, Frank, you got to run your race. Repeat after me, run your race. You know, I, I was in India in February preaching when I heard that Billy Graham died. And my heart dropped. 
But Billy Graham said, one time you're going to read that Billy Graham has died. He said, don't believe it. I'll be more alive than ever before. <laughs> Amen. You know, I could never be Billy Graham. Just the other day, a woman came into my office and with tears subsiding, said Billy Graham. Can you help me? I pause with all sincerity, said ma'am. No, I cannot, but I can lead you to the one who can. She told me she was discouraged, depressed, and thought of death daily. I showed her the scriptures how Christ climbed Calvary's cross for her. Today, I'll be watching by way of monitor. I'd like to send you some free literature. Right, Billy Graham, that's all the address you'll need. Perhaps you're in Canada. That's P.O. Box 844, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And some of you in the balcony will take two to three minutes. Believe me, the buses will wait. You come forward as you give your heart to Christ. Give God a round of applause. Amen. I could never be Pastor Rodney. It's going to be miracle signs and wonders. It's going to be epic. Amen. <laughs> You know what? I love these guys with all my heart. But hear me, Xerox is great for paper, but horrible for people. God has learned. I love what John Maxwell said. He said, if you walk into a room and you're the sharpest in the room, you're in the wrong room. We need to be inspired by people, and I am, but never be intimidated, people. Pastor was also right. There's more anointing in this pastoral staff than any place in the world. And we should be better because we've met them. Amen. So many times people, Satan wants you to buy the lie that I got to be better than so-and-so. That's not just in the world. Satan has tried to make that in the church. I shared with someone recently, I heard a story of two well-known pastors. I'll leave their name out. They were in first class of a commercial jet. They were, they were, let's just say they saw each other as competition. The one guy is in first class, true story, seat number one. The other preacher is in seat number two. And as they're 33,000 feet, the one pastor had the audacity that had this hidden feud going on for two decades, looked at the other preacher and sees seat number two and said, it's appropriate you're behind me because you've been behind me for the last 20 years. Guys, I'm telling you, there's nothing of the fruit of spirit anywhere in all of that. And guys, when you got to run your race, just be the best Christian, best missionary, best evangelist that you can be. Because watch this, the church around the corner running more numbers is not your competition. See each other as colleagues, not competition. Our only competition is Satan and we're running out of time. Ministry minus urgency equals catastrophe. He said, number one, run your race. Number two, he said, you got to stay in your lane. Amen. Do you know why if you're an Olympian and you're like a Ferrari with no brakes and you're running as fast as you can, you always have to be looking forward because if you look to the left, we sang a song in vacation Bible school as kids, be careful little eyes what you see because where your eyes go is where your feet will go. And the interesting thing is you need to be racing towards Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, not gold, I'm talking God, amen? Because if you look to the left, and a track and feed heat. It's one thing to lose in recess. You don't want to lose when the whole world's watching. And you're running real fast. And if you look to the left, your feet may accidentally step out of bounds. And if you step in another person's lane in track and field, it starts with the D. What happens? You get this. 
qualified. You could be the fastest person in the world and still lose the race. You know, horses wear blinders because of peripheral vision. They're tempted to look to the left or right. And if you're running and you look to the left or right, the aerodynamics are so fast with those people that run like gazelles, just looking to the left. Not only can you step out of bounds, that wind current can actually slow you down and it may be the difference of gold and silver. So you have to run your race and stay in your lane. And here's the word for everyone. The grass always looks greener on the other side. And that's a lie from hell. The grass isn't greener on the other side. It just means there's a septic tank somewhere close and it stinks. Amen. Amen. So you got to run your race. Say run your race. You got to stay in your lane. Say stay in your lane. I want to encourage my anointed ambassadors. Number one, work on your relationship more than your resume. Work on your relationship with Jesus more than your resume. When asked if he could do it all over again, they said, Billy Graham, what would you do differently? And he said with tears, quote, I would have preached less and I would have prayed more. You can fool people publicly in the pulpit, but you fool no one in the prayer closet. But until you get alone with God in private, you'll never be God's microphone in public. Work on your relationship with God, not worrying about your resume. Number two, titles are one thing. Testimony is everything. For a while, the wheels came off the cart years ago because we got more enamored with our charisma than the crucified Christ himself. If you get Christ, you get charisma as a bonus. But if you chase charisma and not alone with Christ, you got a crisis coming. Amen? If you have a chance to develop integrity or drive three infinities, stick with integrity. Because infinity will leave you on the side of the road. But your integrity will keep you going with God long after the car stops. Amen? More than ever, just get filled with Jesus. Paul said, I die daily. So not only run your race and stay in your lane. Number three, Joe said what we really need to do. He said, you got to keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. McDonald's in 1983 had a jingle, keep your eyes on your fries. Because my siblings would be like, my brother Matt would say, Frank, look over there. And my sister take out my fries underneath me. But guys, we got to keep our eyes on the prize. And what's the prize? Knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. You know, I never felt smart, but the Bible said, he that wins souls is wise. You know, most Christians have enough of Jesus to get them to heaven, but not enough of Jesus to keep a best friend out of hell. I was at Cracker Barrel one time and I asked a preacher from Houston, Texas. I said, Pastor, can you give me one of your favorite illustrations? Do you know if you use other people's material in college, it's called plagiarism. In the ministry, I call it research. Can I get an amen? (laughs) 
I said, Pastor, give me your favorite illustration. He said, Frank, true story. He goes, I got two deacons in my church. He goes, there's one. His granddaddy inherited the drill bit patent that would dig deep into the heart of Houston soil. He said, the interesting thing is their drill bits, they were $100,000 a piece for a drill bit. I said, Pastor, how do they afford them? He said, all they got to do is strike oil once and they pay for themselves. The deacon's granddaddy made the patent. He inherited all the wealth. I said, can he give a love offering to help a struggling evangelist? Amen. He said, Frank, you would never know it. He just dressed modest. But the man bought a 12,000 square foot brick colonial mansion. The Corinthian columns, it looked like Graceland or the White House, had the electric gates, the oval driveway, the fountain in the yard, and the dual uh, marble staircase. It looked like gone with the wind. The house terra. Marble floors. And he said he had a six-car garage, and he was getting death threats in 88, 89. It's bragging rights for wealthy to hire former United States Secret Service to protect the estate. Their mentality is if you were good enough to protect the man, it's an honor for you to protect the family. They weren't hiring Secret Service. They weren't even hiring infrared alarm systems. They bought a Rottweiler and a German Shepherd in 89. The dogs were $15,000, not last week, in 1988 and 89. That's 30 years ago. I don't care if you were Mother Teresa, if you paid 30 grand for a dog and it got hit by a FedEx truck, the first words out of your mouth ain't doggone. Can I get an amen? <laughs> he was getting death threats and the Houston Chronicle, a journalist, wrote a letter to the wealthy man who's the chairman of deacons at that church. He said, I think it's crazy that you would spend that kind of money. I think it's foolish resources. Can I come over and watch your pets? How they survey and secure your house. He said, my home is yours. And he said, a true story. The first thing it was noted that it was mandatory that the Rottweiler beat the, the owner to the door. Because the interesting is if someone ever got in the palatial palace, that magnificent mansion, if someone ever got through the house without hearing the password, which was friend, the interesting thing is God had mercy, but the Rottweilers don't have to. And they were trained so well, they would jump at the jugular vein of a human being's neck and they didn't let go until they died. If someone ever got in the house without the word friend, he said, another thing is when they would get there, if the owner would just say the word friend, the dogs were trained so well that they would not bark. They would leave that they could fellowship and they wouldn't even walk on the marble floor. They would tiptoe back on this cheap linoleum runner like my mom used to do when she vacuumed a plastic piece and the dogs would just quietly tiptoe back on the linoleum. And I thought, but shoot, for 30 grand, they better know how to wax the Ferrari, praise the Lord. He said, I knew you were coming, but I've never done this. He said they had a sub-zero stainless steel refrigerator and they would house food in it in 88, 89. If you want your spouse to lose weight, you gotta buy one of these stainless steel refrigerator, not because they're cold, but because there's a combination digital lock on the outside. It's better than Weight Watchers, it drives them nuts. He said, I knew you were coming, but we've never tempted or tested 
And true story, he said, I haven't fed my dogs in three days. And he slid two 12-ounce T-bone steaks on the floor in front of the Rottweiler and the German Shepherd. And they went outside and the two began to talk and small talk, the owner of the house and the reporter to the Houston Chronicle. They're out for about 15 minutes and the wealthy owner said to the reporter, what do you think's gonna happen? He goes, I'm not a betting man, but I would bet a week's wages. If you haven't fed those dogs in 72 hours, I believe those steaks are gone. And he said, let's go see. And when they went back, the owner had the biggest smile. The two 12 ounce steaks were under the nostrils on the floor and their plate. And the dogs knew it was so tempting they could smell it, but they would not look at it. With their eyes perfectly parallel in the back of the mansion, they kept their eyes in the back, but they could smell it and they hadn't eaten. And they began to shake. They're going into convulsions. Saliva's coming down their mouth, but they knew not to stare at the steak. God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. And everybody else may be engaged but you, and everybody else may be got a job but you, and when things in that season of waiting on the Lord, you're gonna be tempted to cheat, compromise, and cut corners. But I'm telling you, God is still on time. Amen. And they would not stare at the stake, and one is almost having a heart attack, and they almost fell into each other, and without waiting an extra second, God is not trying to manipulate or hurt you, amen? With a smile, the owner snapped his fingers and the dogs looked up and then he pointed to the stakes as this to say, you've been patient, you can have it. And true story, within 3.4 seconds, both stakes were gone. The reporter jotted down a whole bunch of notes and he said, my God, how did you do that? And the wealthy man, the chairman of deacons from the church where the pastor told me at Cracker Barrel, he said, yes, the dogs are expensive. Yes, they're born and bred in Germany. Yes, they're $15,000 a piece. Yes, they're the best that money can buy. But ever since my dogs were little, they were always trained to keep their eyes on the master. And what I'm challenging tonight in Tampa, Florida, young people, you need to focus on the father. You need to have your gaze on almighty God. Your sights need to be set on the Savior himself, and you need to look and get locked in the Lord. Because if you, like Demas, look to the world, you'll be depressed. If you hang out with Ouija boards, you'll be oppressed. But if you stay in the Word of God, you'll be impressed. Would you give God one last round of applause? <laughs> Say, run your race. Stay in your lane. Keep your eyes on the prize. And Joe leaned back, the African-American Olympian. The only thing I could beat Carl Lewis and Joe Deloosh is to the buffet line at Golden Corral. Can I get an amen? But Joe leaned back and smiled with a twinkle in his eyes. And he said, Frank, you got to block out the crowd. You know, I am 46 years old. I got saved at the age of seven. I went to a church running 33 in 1982 in Brandywine, Maryland. Nine of the 33 was the pastor's family. Five was mine. 14 of 33 was just two small families. But they preached and praised about a big, big God. In 1982, I had such a burden for lost friends. 
We had a contest. Whoever brought the most kids to vacation Bible school at age 10 would win a prize. And I couldn't sleep for a week. And I remember thinking, what about if I invite them to church and I think I'm holier than thou? What about if they think I'm just a goody two-shoes? What about if they think I'm crazy because Frank loves Jesus? Satan showed me that I would be at cafeteria in elementary school, at a public school, my whole life, all by myself, if I identified with Jesus. Do you know why I shop at Walmart? Because you preach Jesus, Target is on your back. Can I get an amen? And I remember thinking, I'm going to sit all by myself, middle school, high school, all by myself, because it's just Jesus and me. And if I've ever heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, God said at age 10 and 82, Frankie, there's a heaven and there's a hell. What are you going to do? And I figured, well, if he died for me, I'm going to live for him. And you know what? I started inviting friends. I got a few no's, but somehow God used a 10-year-old in 1982. At a church running 33, I had 22 first-time visitors at a church running 33. And watch this. They got some, many got saved. One girl is a preacher's wife today. One girl married the guy who's a baseball player, played for Virginia University. He is still the chaplain of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for the whole Virginia College. And it wasn't just a decision. These are lifelong disciples. But watch this. When I first got saved, I knew some of my kids may be against me, my, my friends, my peers, classmates. I'm just being transparent because if we can't be real here, we ain't going to be real out there. I had preachers back in the day that were for me and atheists were against me. You know what? There's so much jealousy in the ministry. If you're not careful, it seems like the tables have been turned. I get messages from non-church going folks on Facebook and tell me, Frank, I just logged in. I'm at my normal job. And I want to let you know, I've known you since sixth grade. Before I even see what else is going on, I go to your Facebook wall every day to see what God is saying through you. Now, I'm not quite there yet, but I, this is from a lost person. He said, I want to let you know I'm proud of you and I'm cheering you on. I got some pastors in my hometown. If I died tonight, it was too late. I should have been dead a year ago. But that's why I love Pastor Rodney and Adonica. God has used some generals and giants of the faith to minister to this minister. Would you give pastors a loud Florida round of applause? I heard of a story, I'll be real quick. I heard of a story of a summer camp that went on for 25 years. They had a rope strategically placed around oak trees about every 20 feet. The gun would go off. It was an obstacle course. It went straight up a hill. And all these campers, these kids, these contestants would run as fast as they could up the hill. And when they ran as fast as they could, there were always people on the sidelines saying, who do you think you are? You're making us look bad. We used to do that kind of stuff. Slow up. Quit. And you know what? One by one, they quit. But there was one year when the crowd screamed louder, there was this kid who ran faster. They screamed louder, faster, louder, faster, louder, faster. 24 years, no one ever finished this race.
except for year number 25. Who do you think you are? You're arrogant. We're just like a seeker-friendly church. We're just gonna love people all the way to hell. We got three doctorate degrees. He that wins souls is wise. That doesn't apply anymore. 9,000 didn't baptize a soul last year. Who cares? God cares. You know, a person in hell today would do anything they could to sit where you did a night for one more chance. But the problem with hell, once you get in, you don't get out. Leaders of mainstream denomination, you can be a small person and still have a big platform. And you can have a big ministry and still not be doing it correctly. Many who are first will be last. Many who are last will be first. You're going too fast. Slow down. You're rocking the boat. Quit, quit, quit. They scream louder, he ran faster. They scream louder, he ran faster. Louder, faster. True story, this kid finally won. And when it all settled and the smoke cleared, they went up to him and they didn't know this. But what was the difference? True story, unbeknownst to the critics, the crowd, the campers and the contestant, the kid who finally won was born deaf. And RBI graduates and even parents and preachers, some of you, I'm telling you, we're gonna stand real soon, not before critics, not before campers, not before contestants. We're gonna stand before Christ himself. He said, you were running well, who hindered you? And guys, if you're gonna make it in the ministry, you gotta run your race. What did God call you to do? Do that and nothing else. Run your race. You gotta stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. What did God call you to do? Success is not in the crowd. Success is being obedient to Christ. Run your race, stay in your lane, and block out the crowd. Keep your eyes on the prize. And the last thing Joe said, Frank, I learned if I ran with the whole world watching, or if at 4 a.m. before dawn with just my teammates, I learned a long time ago to run for an audience of one. He said, I could be at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. 102,000 people going bananas. I don't know how. I can still hear my mama's voice. Go, baby! Go, baby! Go, baby! <laughs> you can hear mom in front of 100,000. But he said in love, I didn't even run for my mom, I ran for my Messiah. The audience of one. There was a guy named Bill Glass years ago that played for the Cleveland Browns. Do you know what NFL stands for? It's not National Football League. It means not for long. Can I get an amen? Here today, gone tomorrow. There was a guy named Bill Glass. He was a Christian on the team. He was a leader in the locker room. Thank God for Christian leaders. There is a lie from the enemy. If you serve God, you'll be boring or second rate. The word of the night is if you promote the Lord, the Lord will promote you. The Cleveland Browns were playing at home. They wear white jerseys with the orange helmet. 
64,000 people are at home. It had rained the night before. And even though their jerseys at home are white, the Browns that day lived up to their name, completely brown and mud. They're on the one yard line. There's three seconds left. They're down by four, so they cannot kick a field goal. They have to score a touchdown. It is the last play of the game on the one yard line, and there's a timeout. The coach to the Browns looked at Bill Glass, the Christian, and said, when we hike this ball, you need to hit the guy so hard in front of you that you knock them both down that where our quarterback, his words, can tiptoe untouched through the tulips for a touchdown. He said, the only problem is when I lined up that day on the last play of the game, I'm standing in front of a man who was the heaviest man in the NFL that season. He was 389 pounds. So the only problem is the guy next to him, his immediate left was the second biggest man in the NFL. And some of y'all complain about how hard you have it. And he's trying to knock down just shy of 800 pounds on the last play of the game. He said, I got a picture of Samson before the two columns in the stadium. And he said, God, do it one more time. <laughs> have you ever prayed for something and got what you asked for? and then realized it wasn't what you wanted. When he said hike, he said, God, give me supernatural strength. He said, he, he knows what it was. He said, it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They came through that brother from another mother. And he hit those two guys so hard, he said, I look back laughing. I thought it was Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble with their feet underneath that little car. He said, when I hit those guys, <laughs> he said it hit those guys too hard. They bump into each other. Their legs started going like that on the mud. He said, the good news, they fell. He said, the bad news is they fell on top of me first. <laughs> 800 pounds on top of him, crushed his face mask into the mud, gurgling with veins in his neck. The ear holes of the NFL helmet began to suck inside. No air could come out. And he said it was the longest 10 seconds of his life. And he said, the crazy thing is, he said, I prayed that God would use me, the Christian, to win the game. He said, at this point, I'm just praying to live another day. <laughs> he said, God, if we lose, just let him get off. We used to go swimming in the ocean. And if you've ever been in a riptide, you're upside down and you're thinking this is where it's going to end here. And you don't know if you're up or down and you're thinking, I got a nanosecond, but if I swim in the wrong direction, I'm done. And I don't have a chance for an error. Have you ever been there? It's a humbling experience. Thank God for grace. He's down, completely down, 800 pounds on top of him. And he said he prayed that God would use him. And right at his last breath, mud in his face, air exhausted out of his lungs. They finally come up. He can't even see, but when they came away, the 64,000 plus were screaming so loud, even before he could open up his eyes, he realized that they must have won the game. And when he hit him so hard, true story, the quarterback is in the end zone in a white jersey, not a speck of brown on the quarterback. And darn if he didn't tiptoe untouched through the tulips for a touchdown. In 64,000 time two, eyeballs. We're all looking at the quarterback.
God used him. God spared him. But now the Christian of all people was jealous because 64,000 times two pairs of eyeballs, 128,000 eyes are not looking at him. They're looking at the quarterback and he wanted to scream, I did all the work. And as he was wrong but walking off, 64,000 sets of eyes are looking at the quarterback. But the coach had taken off his headset. He was only looking at one man and he was clapping for Bill Glass. And guys in the ministry, one thing that Satan will try to derail each and every one of you is we're gonna start getting either cocky or jealous. I've preached in South Carolina at revivals. I had a woman who was the pastor's wife said, I'm offended. I said, ma'am, tell me why. I don't know why that lady has to always sing a solo before my husband preaches. I've known her since college, so I could be real. I said, Jennifer, you ride in the car and go home and sleep with them. Ain't that good enough? Her exact words, Frank, hell will freeze over before I ever get right with her. We prayed that night. I preached a sermon on jealousy. The altar was full. And praise God, the preacher's wife and the soloist were weeping and hugging over top of each other. And we'll never have revival for the world if we're treating each other like enemies. Amen. I'm gonna land the plane here. I did a black tie event one time and Carl Lewis and I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth Marriott and I said, Carl, I just wanna double check, is this true? He said, it is true. I said, can I share it? He said, go ahead. In 1969, at a world summer track meet, there was a guy named John Aquaquina and they're racing against the Africans. And I'm telling you, these guys, the moment they're birthed, they're on a roll. <laughs> this one guy was guaranteed to win gold. And somewhere two thirds into the race, some have still said, is it intentional or accidental? There were folks from another nation came up and sometimes they would almost just toy with you thinking that you had a chance. And then at the end, put the pedal to the metal and smoke you to the gold. But something happened. It was a conspiracy for years. Someone stepped on the back of the shoe and watch this and I'm done. The guy guaranteed to win it all, falls on his knees, falls face down, knocks out a tooth, sprains his right ankle so bad it's three times the size. And the guy guaranteed to win gold is now dead last. At no fault of his own. Everything inside is saying, stay down, stay down. And with the whole world watching, his mama raised him to be a winner. 
not a quitter. He got up and he begins to hobble the last 3.4 miles. The guy guaranteed to win it all is dead last. Not a single person left. And it's bad when a guy with a 42 pound camera is beating an Olympian, racing next to him to catch every pain. And as wide world of sports would say, the agony of defeat. With every step, with three times the size of an ankle, you could see his eyes wince and you cried with him. And you even hoping that the man would quit. They would have an investigation. Was it intentional? And the guy guaranteed to lose, he finishes dead last. And a reporter sticks a microphone in the man's mouth and with the whole world watching, said, John, I gotta ask you, at no fault of your own, you're down. Why didn't you quit? And after catching his breath, he smiled and looked in the camera. He said, sir, my country didn't fly me 13,204 miles to start this race. He looked at his shoes. He looked at the camera. He said, sir, my country flew me 13,204 miles to finish this race. And he said, my country was watching, and I ran for them. Watch this. We have a dual citizenship. It's one thing to be an ambassador of the UN, but you are an ambassador of JC Jesus the Christ. Hold on, hold on, amen. You're not a representative of Congress, you're a representative of Christ. You are a senator for the Savior. You're a governor for God. In military, some of you are an officer for the omnipotent. Some of you are a sergeant for the Savior. Some of you are a lieutenant for the Lord. Some of you are a captain for God. Some of you are going to be generals for God. But here's the thing. It ain't your title. It's your testimony. And watch this. When Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. The word quit and the word quiet sounds similar. And friends, don't ever quit because it gets quiet if you quit. God didn't call you to quit. He called you to finish. Paul was a finisher. Demas was a failure. Paul was a winner. Demas was a wannabe. I don't see any losers here tonight. I only see leaders who love the Lord. Can we stand up? Can we stand up? And we're gonna give them a round of applause and let's just give Jesus a round of applause.